December 21st, 2012. Uh, it's come to be known as the 2012 phenomenon, made you know, popular by the movie that came out in 2009, but truly a, a phenomenon where people predict the end of the world as we know it on December 21st. 2012. Now, in kind of true movie fashion, I'm actually going to pass something else out among us here, and they're going to pass you a little bucket, and I've got a piece of candy for you. That uh, I want you to take it, though, and I want you to hold it. So as I'm speaking, these little buckets are going to come by, and you just got a little piece of candy in there. Take it, hold it, stick it in your pocket. Uh, I will refer to it in just a moment. Now, this whole scenario is predicated upon the Mayan Mesoamerican long count calendar. There's a calendar that they base this on. And so what people have said is that, you know, this calendar keeps track of days over 5,125 years, you know, just clicking it off. But after 5,125 years, guess what day the calendar stops? What day? December 21st, 2012. Now, I don't know what like that does in your soul. You know, I think, you know, it's a movie, you know, clip. It's a trailer. And so you just kind of, oh, it's just a movie, whatever. But I want to suggest that for many, when you think of end of life, end of world predictions, for many, it, it creates tremendous fear and angst. It, uh, it, it remains embedded in there for many people. And I would suggest some of us even, because while we can dismiss uh, you know, bunk, you know, that's just totally ridiculous. If we don't have something to replace it with that we can embrace and hold as trustworthy and true, then I want to suggest just saying no to that, not enough. And for a lot of people, there remains this gnawing, low-grade fear. How's it going to end? I want you to take your Bibles, if you have them, and go ahead and open them to Luke chapter 17. We're in verses 20 to 37 today. And Jesus, quite frankly, is going to talk about some end-of-world events. We'll touch on it again in chapter 21. But here, he's going to really touch on the nature of some things that are going to happen at the end of the world as we know it. And may I say this to you, okay? What Jesus says is as trustworthy and true as his character. You can bank on it. You can say no to that, but may I encourage you and affirm, we can say yes with absolute conviction. You know, as Luke says, we can know for sure this is how it's going to be. I'm going to do the message in two parts. I'm going to I'm going to do a little chart on the, I'm going to talk on the board for a moment to give us an outline of the nature of the kingdom of God, because it's very important we see that, because you'll see the, the whole story is, is around the kingdom of God connected. But then I'm going to take the text after doing this, I'm going to take the text and we're just going to go through it piece by piece, and we're going to hang the text sort of on the chart. It'll, the, the chart here I'm going to do will help us understand the text, and I know everyone can't see it, you're not going to see all the words I write. You're going to hear every word I say, um, and you, know, you, can, you can copy them down later uh, if you like. Now, we're going to 
we're going to keep it in its context, right? We're studying through Luke. So last week, Michael walked us through these previous verses in which 10 lepers are healed. And I thought he did a masterful job of inserting us in that text. It was great. And in that, we, we learned all 10 were healed, but only one was saved. And, and we have to make that distinction between, you know, it's one thing to be made physically well. Oh my, it's a whole nother to be made spiritually alive, which the one demonstrated because he turned back because of that physical physicality of the text. I mean, he fell down, he worshiped, and Jesus said, stand up. And so we come out of that story, a, a sign, if you will, so to speak, and we pick up Jesus speaking with the Pharisees. Now, again, before I read the text itself, skim a few verses with me because I want you to see this. In verse 20, the text begins, Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming. Kingdom of God. He addresses that. But as he continues to speak, look at verse 22. He said to the disciples, the days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. Skip down to verse 26. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. Look at verse 30. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. So if we read this text and it's, you know, the fullness of it, it actually goes through verse 8 of chapter 18. But we look at that, we go, I mean, wait a minute, is he talking about the kingdom or is he talking about his second coming? Do you see a little bit of confusion? I hope you see a little confusion because it's there and you kind of go, wait, which is which and what is he talking How are they related? Are they the same thing? You know, you just begin to have these questions, which is why I want to spend just a moment and walk us through in the most simplest of forms, if I may, the nature of the kingdom of God. I'm just going to fill in some blanks up here and then uh, put some words on the chart. When you think of the kingdom of God, always keep this phrase in your mind. We're talking about the, the rule of God. It's what you think. A kingdom has a king. A king reigns. It's the rule of God. Now, there's a broad context and there's a very narrow context to this, but it's all about God's rule and reign. Uh, Graham Goldsworthy puts it in three categories that I think are very helpful when you look at the whole Bible and see how this plays out. He speaks of God's people in God's place under God's rule. Again, I'm just giving it to you another very helpful way to think about the kingdom of God, God's people in God's place under God's rule. When we read our Bible and we read our Old Testament, what we find is that the kingdom of God is promised. Now, there's a, there's a, I don't want to go into the details on this. There's a sense to which the kingdom of God is even present in the Old Testament. But it's, it's promised. You know, in other words, after the fall, God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make everything all right. I'm going to set it all right. I'm going to bring, send a Messiah. It's going to restore everything. It's all, I'm going to take care of this problem of sin. And separation from me. And so kingdom of God, what we note in the Old Testament is that it's promised. Jesus at his first coming, I got a cross here. So that's Jesus. When he came the first time, 
Jesus says some amazing things because when he comes, he says, and he'll say it in this text, the kingdom of God's in your midst. He'll say the kingdom of God is present. The kingdom of God is here. But he'll also say things like there's a future day when things will happen related to the kingdom of God. And so the first thing we want to note is when Jesus comes, the kingdom of God in some way or form, the rule of God, God's people in God's place and God's rule, it's actually not just promised, but Jesus is very clear that it's present. What we don't want to miss, though, is Jesus also makes clear there's a sense to which the kingdom of God is future. There's more to it. There's more to come. Now, theologians for centuries, as they've wrestled with this, have, have, have come, up, they've deter- come up with a phrase, so to speak, that really helps us understand the nature of God's kingdom. And they say it like this. The kingdom, after Je- you know, and this is the part between Jesus' first coming and second, the kingdom, we say, is now. And the kingdom, we say, is not yet. And in a few moments when we conclude, I'm going to talk about, I think, some very, very pertinent implications of living with this tension and understanding the kingdom's now and the kingdom's not yet and what it means to live with that tension, okay? Now, keeping the chart in mind, we're going to go through uh, the, the, the text itself. Well, let me, let me give you two, two other things related to this. The Jewish leaders when they envisioned the kingdom of God, okay, they, they had this right, in a sense, the rule of God, God's people, God's place, God's rule. But, but we've talked about this before. They viewed it as political, as national, and as Jewish. <laughs> so when they say, when's the kingdom, they're going, when are you going to oust the Romans crush every Gentile, and lift up the Jews to the place of preeminence. So you see, that's, that's their view of the kingdom. Does that make sense? That's what they're looking for. So when they ask Jesus, when's the kingdom coming? That's what they're thinking. When's it coming? Here's the other thing that, that we often miss and we need to keep in mind is when they looked and asked about the kingdom, they, they viewed when Messiah came, he would come one and done, set up the kingdom, it's over. But that's not how we know redemptive history plays out. Now, here's, here's one of the things, here's a silly exercise I, I was doing going, how, how can I help us see this, okay? Here's, do this, put, put both of your palms like this, or put your Bible down, just put your palms like this, you know. So I got my palms just face to face. And then I'm gonna make a fist, so I got two fists. Got that? Now, here's all I want you to do. I want you to put two fingers up, and I want you to look at both fingers and line them up and close one eye so that you can only see one finger. Everybody do that? Like, I, like right now, I only see this finger. I can only see one finger. When the Jews looked for the Messiah coming to set all things right, they only saw one finger. Now open both eyes and turn your hands to the side. And what do you have here? What do I have? I got a gap. They didn't see this gap. So, see, this is, this is all we're doing right here. Oh, he came and he's coming again. They totally missed it. Totally missed that gap, so important for us to understand the gap between 
the two. Look at verse 20, 20 and 21. Let's go through the text. It says, now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered and said to them, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look here, look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Because they were because they had a flawed view of the kingdom, because they had a flawed expectation, it's going to be Jewish, it's going to be religious, and it's going to be political, they missed the Savior that was right in front of them. What does Jesus mean, the kingdom of God is in your midst? Well, Jesus, think about this, Jesus perfectly exemplified what? The rule of God. The kingdom was, he was the kingdom. He Perfectly represented a life submitted wholly to God's rule and God's reign. And not only that, in Jesus Christ, because he lived that perfect life, because he bore our sins on the cross, was buried and raised again, and all who place their faith in Jesus are saved, Jesus himself is the means by which we enter the kingdom. He's the way to the kingdom. Do you see that? And so at least on those two levels, he looks and says, I am the kingdom. And submitting to you, submitting to me, you enter the kingdom. And they missed it. Now, step off of that for a moment. Let's just talk real practical. I want to suggest this, just a way of practical application. I want you to think back over your last month and the events of life. Maybe the last year. Maybe the last week. And I want to suggest that if your expectation of God, if what you expected God to do, to not do, is skewed, then I want to suggest that when life goes south for you, there's a possibility that you can miss Jesus who's standing right in front of you. Because you didn't expect him to be like that. Oh my gosh, I didn't expect God to do that. Do you see that? So I'm just, again, stepping out of our text in a sense, just for, per, for personal. Did anything come to your mind when I asked that? God, that's, you're, you've been here all along. This is you at work. But I didn't expect you to be like that and I've missed you. Just, just something I want you to, you know, that may be the only thing you get today. And if it is, it's good. Consider how you might miss God who's right in front of you because your expectations are totally out of whack. Verses 22 to 37, Jesus, knows, notice this. In 20 and 21, he's talking to the Pharisees. He changes audience and he's talking to the disciples all the way from 22 to 37. Notice 22 to 25. And he said to the disciples, the days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. They will say to you, look here, look here. Do not go away and do not run after them. For just like lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Now, look up, back up at this chart again, if you would, for me. When he says, you're going you're gonna to look and long to see me in, in, in my day, which, 
Which coming is he talking about? Say it out loud. Which coming is he talking about? Based on the context, which would you say? Nobody's saying. <laughs> second. He's talking about his second coming. That, that, that they, there will be a time when they will look and, and they'll long for what he's going to promise. And he'll talk about what he's going to do when he comes back. And they'll long for that day. He says, and, and you won't see it. Now, what does his second coming have to do with the kingdom? I thought we were talking about the kingdom. Are we talking about the kingdom or the second coming? Well, let's keep in mind, you can't separate these two things per se. They're distinct, but they're inseparable. And so when the kingdom comes in his first coming, I'm going to use another word up here again just to help us understand this. The kingdom is inaugurated. It's begun. It's started. But please hear this. It ain't done. It's just, it's partial. It's in part. But it's started, inaugurated. But there's coming a day when it will be consummated. Complete, full, and final forever. Now, it says here that they, they're looking for that consummation when God's going to come back and Jesus is going to come back and set it all right. And he says, you'll long for it, but won't see it. Why will they long for it? Somebody answer. Take a shot. Why will they long for that day? When you read your New Testament, what's going on in their lives that they would long for that day? What's going on? They're suffering. See, verse 25 refers to Christ. I must suffer and die. Please understand, in principle, that applies to anyone who follows Jesus. Jesus walked the path to Jerusalem to suffer and die, and we're going to follow him. That same path is ours. That's like good news and bad news, you know. The good news is this. There's coming a day when our future men and women, if you know Christ, is unimaginably good. I mean, I, there's just no words to put to it. It's so good. But prior to that day, oh my, it's going to be hard. You, you follow Jesus and Peter says this, for you it's been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him but also to suffer for his sake. See, we walk that same path. Well, there's two things we can say about, and we got these words up here. These, this is the nature of his second coming. I just got some phrases. The light, it's going to be like lightning when it flashes across the sky. All, all, all he's saying there is it's going to be universally unmistakable. You can't miss it. Everyone sees it. That's all you say. No one will go. I didn't see universally unmistakable when he comes again. But also in the suffering passage, it will be when that time comes, it will be preceded by suffering. It will be preceded by suffering. It goes on to give two analogies. Two, here's what it's going to be like. Well, what's it going to be like? Notice verse 26. Follow along in your Bibles. It says, and just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. 
They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. And you read that and you go, you know, it was just a normal day. When he came, sword of judgment when he comes his time, it's just going to be a normal day. I mean, I'm just going to be, you know, I'm going to be at Starbucks, I guess. Get my, you know, it's just going to be your normal day when he comes. And it tells us at, at least this, it's going to be totally unexpected. Now, I want to qualify this. He's going to come at a moment that's totally unexpected. But just like his first coming, gang, it's not that we weren't forewarned, right? For, for thousands of years, the promise was made, he's coming, he's coming, this is what's going to happen. He's going to do this, he's coming, and he came, and no one saw him, so to speak. Please know from the moment of his ascension, when he went into the heavens and the angel said, you know, the way he went up, he's coming back, which is talking about his second coming, <clears throat> that the church, that's you and I, have had the privilege of proclaiming he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he is going to come. And when he comes, he's going to do this, he's coming. And so even though it will be totally unexpected, even for you and I, literally, I mean, it's not like you know, we're going to be, it's going to surprise us, we've been warned. Now, on a practical note, this is, this is really, I think, just so, so basic, but let's not miss it. If you know something in the future is going to happen, I mean, literally, it, it, like, it's like, can I say, I'll say this, you know, everyone in this room is going to die. I mean, we, no one ever escapes the plan of that. You're going to die, okay? So we know something's going to happen. If we know something's going to happen for sure in the future, what's the, what's the only wise thing to do? I mean, just to get ready for it. I mean, it's that simple, right? Here's the thing. When he comes again the second time, it's too late. You see, you got to keep in mind, when he comes again, you can't get ready. And so knowing that's going to come, the only way we can be prepared for that then, in the future, is literally men and women to be ready right now. And if you're not ready, literally, as I'm right now, then trust me, when he comes in that moment, you won't be. Such a warning to be mindful of that. When he comes, this certainly tells us that there will be devastating destruction. Devastating destruction. That's the picture of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the picture of the flood. Please understand, his second coming is about judging the wicked. Those who've not bowed their knee to Christ. Y'all, I, I thought about this. There are times when I've, I've longed for his coming. And that's a very good thing, if I might say that. You know, the New Testament, we see that the New Testament church longed for his coming. That's a fabulous thing. But I'll tell you the truth. I long for his coming generally when I'm not doing well. Or when I'm hurting or when I've experienced a loss or whatever. You know, I'm just tired. Come, Lord Jesus. We kind of joke about it. I say that. But it kind of hit me when I wrote this. You know, it's going to be devastating. And it's kind of like, you know, I long for his coming so I can get relief. 
But I forget when he comes. It's over. It's over. So those who don't know Christ, it's over. And it kind of sobered me, honestly, to think about it more in those lines than just, I want to not hurt anymore. No, it's done when he comes. Devastating destruction for those who have not trusted Christ. Look at verse 31. Going on, he says, On that day, the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. The implication here is that on that day, when he comes back, now, there's a sense of, you know, don't go back and do something. But, but the, the heart, I think, of the passage in using that phrase, remember Lot's wife, is that every heart on that day will be revealed. There's just every, every heart will be known. Uh, there are people in this room, there are people who come to church here. You know, there's 4,500 people that, you know, come through fellowship on a weekend. I, I know there, there are some who don't know Christ. I'm glad you're here. But there are some who maybe don't know Christ and think they do, but you truly don't. You haven't truly bowed your knee, been born again. And, and uh, I don't, you might be serving in a learning center. I don't know. But I'm just telling you, on that day, who you are, the true intent of your heart, the affections of your heart will be revealed. And so a characteristic of that day, I'm just going to say it here, hearts are exposed. You know the story Lot and his family are in Sodom. The angels come and say, God's going to destroy it. You need to get out. It's interesting. They didn't really want to go. It's, it's kind of it's strange. You know, they hesitated. And the angels had to take their hands and take them. In my mind, I think, compelling grace. God in his kindness says, I'm going to take you out. And he does. Now, four of them walked out, but only three of them lived because God said, when you leave, don't look back. And what did Lot's wife do? What did she do? She looked back. And I'm telling you, I've read that so many times and thought, oh my gosh, Lord, that's awful harsh. I mean, it was just a look. I mean, I, I would have been curious. I said, well, look, right? And, and the thing about it is, let's go, she's, boom, pillar of salt. She's judged. She's done. Which tells us that her glance back was a reflection of her heart. God's not going to, you know what I'm saying? It, it reflected her heart. What do you mean it reflected her heart? Well, her feet were leaving Sodom, but her heart was connected. Oh, that's my life. That's my life. And God knew that. That's what the glance represented. Ooh. Heart exposed. Application for us. When life, uh, you know, when life is hard or when God's moving you on or God's doing something in your life that's difficult, let, you have to let it go or he removes it, whatever. Because that was a letting go, right? She was having to let go of something. Here's a good test maybe. You know, this isn't foolproof at all. But have you ever thought, well, when that happens, where is my first glance? Back or up? Just, just think about it. Where does your, where does your heart, your head's going to go where your heart's telling it to you. Do you? Is it, oh God, or is it, want that? You know what I'm saying? 
just a, again, a, a little thing to consider or think about the nature of your heart reflected in your glance. It's a spooky statement. Remember Lot's wife. Woo. Remember is biblically not simply recall. If I said to you, let me just ask you, how many of you can remember right now in a split second a childhood phone number? How many of you can? Yeah, I can too. 6488388. You know, that's my high That's just the number. You know, it's just in there. Well, I haven't remembered it. Not biblically. Because biblically, remember carries the idea of recall and action. So that God, when he remembered Noah in the ark, he never forgot him. Like, where'd those guys go? You know, they're fl- he never forgot him. It just means he, he called them to mind and it says, God remembered Noah in the ark and he caused the wind to blow. See, he, he remembered and acted. And so remembering biblically for you and I is not just, hey, I, I remember she turned to salt. No, it's she turned to salt because her heart was in Sodom. And where's my heart and what? Must I believe? What am I trusting? See, it's to do something with the remembering. Remember Lot's wife. Helps make sense of verse 33, I think, when we think of her heart, right? That familiar phrase, Jesus says, if you, want your, if you save your life, you lose it. If you lose it, you save it. See, in this context, what is it telling us? Lot's wife wanted her life. Sodom wanted that life, and she lost life. Whereas Lot and his two daughters let go and found life, for they took life in Christ. Look at verse 34 to 37. Concludes, I tell you, on that night, well, I thought it was a day. Well, it's going to be universal, so someplace it'll be day, someplace it'll be night when he comes back. I tell you on that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. And then the disciples, they're kind of confused. They answer, they have a question. They said, where? I mean, where are they taken? And he said to them, and I don't think, I don't know that this helped them much. They probably got it better than we did maybe. (laughs) Where the body is. There also the vultures will be gathered. Let me summarize that in this way. In the day he comes back, men and women, there will be sudden separation. Doesn't matter who you're in bed with. Doesn't matter who you're working with. There will be separate. Literally, when he comes back, there will be the saved. And men and women, there will be the judged. I'm not even call them lost. They're going to be the judged, the damned who will have to receive the penalty for their sin in themselves. Which kind of helps us make sense of this phrase that Jesus says, uh, and we can get it this way, when, when you see buzzards way up in the sky, you know, they're just way up there. That's one thing. But when you see them, let's just call you know, they're a couple hundred feet off the ground and there's like eight or nine of them. What's underneath them? What is it? Death. Lewis Riley told me, he said, you know, buzzards are the only, only birds that can smell. They, they smell death. And so where are these being taken? Well, they're being taken to death because that's their future. Do <laughs> you understand? That's separation from God forever. Destruction. Devastating destruction. Which tells us in this context, you got to be careful. See, in this context, 
It's not those who are left behind who are in trouble. No, it's the ones who are taken because they're taken in judgment. Now, practical implications. Let me, let me end here. Understanding that the nature of the kingdom is that it's now and it's not yet. Uh, take that little piece of candy out that I gave you. I don't have one in here, but, you know, take that candy. What's the name of that candy? Somebody tell me. Now and later. You said, it's a now and later. Now, when, when I was growing up, and I always still do this sometimes, I always thought they were annihilators. Because you know how people say it real quick? You got an later? Hey, give me a later. You know, whatever. You don't see them much anymore. <laughs> By the way, if you wanted some now and laters, you will not find them within a 20-mile radius of Nashville because every Cracker Barrel has been hit to get these to you. And you've already figured this out. It's just, it, you know what? It's just something I want you to have to not eat, but to look at, to keep in your pocket, to maybe sit by your computer or sit somewhere to remind you the kingdom, the kingdom. That's right. I learned it last week. And the kingdom is now and later. You know, even the ladies, when I asked them, do you have any now and later? They said, you mean now or later? And I go, no, no, it's a now and later. <laughs> you know, doesn't make sense, but it's true. It's now and later. That's the nature of the kingdom. Because the kingdom is now, and understand, you and I live in, in here. We're living right in here. Because it's now, your life and my life is infused with significance and value and meaning. Men and women, because the kingdom is now, and if you've bowed the knee to Christ and the kingdom is in you, if we say it that way, understand how you live your life is of utmost importance. Please, you know, if you're ever struggling, and, and we all do, you know, what's the meaning of my life? Where am I, you know, I'm not sure what I'm living. Please notice, if you're in the kingdom, because the kingdom is now, I don't care if you're a plumber or a painter or a doctor or a lawyer, it doesn't matter. Your life matters, and how you live it makes a difference. You don't have to be a preacher or a missionary. You live your life where God's placed you, and you proclaim Christ, the kingdom. You help people mature in the faith and give their lives away. There's, there's no higher calling, and we all have it. It's huge. Oh, my goodness. You see, it's, it's tremendous to sit, stand in the now of the kingdom. It's now to proclaim it but the kingdom is also not yet so it's now but it's not yet well what does that do can I suggest that when you hold these two intention it's now and it's not yet this is the only way to have and to be held by biblical hope the hope Paul says in Romans 5 that doesn't disappoint See, because every other hope disappoints. I mean, you can hope for something. It may not happen. It may happen. It all disappoints. But not the gospel. Not the now and the not yet of the kingdom. So that wherever you are in life. And, and here's what I know. In this room, there's a ton of pain in this room. Because things aren't working out. And life is hard. And there's loss and death. And there's all of that. It's a fallen world. But please know, this isn't all there is. There's a future. There's more to come. And when he comes again, he's going to set it all right, which is why I wear my Igbok bracelet. I'm being serious. Because in my heart of hearts, I believe with all my fiber of my being, it's going to be okay. It, it, it really is. Now, separate that from the gospel, and no, it's not. 
It's going to be okay because Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He died and bore the penalty for our sins. He was buried and raised again. That's why it's going to be okay. And he said he's coming back again and he's going to set everything right. That's why it's going to be okay. It's like that statement. I saw this in, in I think, Susan's teacher's uh, classroom, my daughter's last year or two years ago. She had that little phrase up there, you know, everything's going to be fine in the end if it's not the end. If, if it's not fine, it's not the end. And it's in that, that, that movie, Exotic Marigold Hotel. They use it in there. Everything's going to be fine in the end. If it's not fine, it's not the end. It's tr- that's tr- I think it's true when it's connected to the gospel. Listen, apart from the gospel, it's just a cute phrase. I'm going to tell you, connect that to the gospel and connect it to the not yet of the kingdom. Oh my, that is genuine biblical hope. December 21st, 2012. You know, we're in 2012, right? December 21st, 2012. Some say it's going to be a day unlike any day in the history of the world. And this is absolutely going to shock some of you in light of what I've been saying for the last 30 minutes. But I agree. I agree. I'm convinced it'll be a day that there's going to be a cataclysmic event the world has not seen I think the Mayans had it right. The calendar, it stops on December 21st, 2012, because on December 21st, 2012, my wife Lisa turns 50. (laughs) And, And get this, yeah. So now, my life just ended on July 1st, 2012. But you guys, when that day hits, right, we're going to remind Lisa, honey, it's not over. The best is yet to come. It's all in front of you. Oh, my. All all kidding aside, you know, in the year 2000, 189 residents of of, of Bougarac, France, little mountain village town, began to get visitors. Folks started coming there, and the mystics, so to speak, they determined that Bougarac was the only place on the planet that can withstand the catastrophes of December 21st, 2012. That's funny. I read an article in the mayor of that town that said, you know, the traffic's increasing. You know, visitors are coming. And he said, I may need to to call the army to keep them out. You know, they had 10,000 in 11. They've had 20,000 so far this year. There's no place on the planet that's going to be safe. When Jesus comes again. There's no no place. No place. Except. To be in the person of Christ. See if you're in him. You believe him. Listen. It's going to be a. It's going to be an amazing day. Now devastating for the lost. That's why we proclaim Christ. Right. Let's stand together. Send you out with this reminder. 1 Thessalonians. I want you to think for a moment. We've got one minute. What, What has God said to you today? What has he called you to remember? What's he inviting you to believe? 